0: This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Appreciate you tuning in. We're in part eight of our series, The People of God, and we're talking about living for the Lord today, the people of God, living for the Lord. And what we find when we open the Gospels is that one of the distinctive marks of God's people is that they obey from the heart. That's Paul's expression in Romans 6 and verse 17 that, as he tells the church there, they became freed from sin when they conformed to the pattern of teaching that he gave them, which is the truth, which is the gospel, he says, having become obedient to it from, from the heart. And so it's not about simply joining a club that's called the people of God and that you owe allegiance to a party called the people of God and that you have some attendance now and then. But people of God are marked by something more meaningful and something deeper that goes on in the heart and in the spirit. They have a desire to have fellowship with God. They hunger and thirst after righteousness, to use Jesus' words in Matthew 5. And so they want and desire these teachings, this pattern of teaching that Paul talks about. They want it to take up residence in their heart. And they want these principles of Jesus to permeate every aspect of their lives and won't be satisfied until they do. And that is, I think, by and large, a, a far cry from uh, much of the party allegiance that is so heavily touted among many Christians today uh, that uh, there's a spirit of competition rather than cooperation in trying to become more Christ-like. It, many spiritual discussions um, devolve into a my church versus your church when, biblically speaking, there's only one, and we should be working together to find out what the truth is on whatever issue it is that we disagree upon, right? And and a mark of the true people of God who, again, earnestly desire the truth and what the teaching is and won't be satisfied until they have it, that that should lead to cooperation rather than competition, uh, you know, inevitably there will be times when uh, we have to go our separate ways because we can't conscientiously come to the same conclusion and honestly come to the same conclusion. But the promise is, is that if we seek, we will find. And that any division that results among God's people is squarely upon us. It's never His fault. It's never the fault of the Bible. It's it's all the result of human weakness and failure to understand and appreciate his truth as he has revealed it. Colossians chapter 3 puts a great emphasis on this new way of living as a result of taking up Christ's teaching in the heart. And Paul says, Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, in verse 2. And he goes on to expand his thought. He says, Put to death fornication, uncleanness and passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then you read down further, he says, put off anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy, filthy language. And then in verse 10, he says, put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And so there again, we come back to, uh, first of all, the desire to be transformed and to become this new person in Christ. And notice Paul says that the catalyst to this renewal, he says, put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of Him who created him? So as we approach the Word of God with a desire to draw near to Him and understand Him more and conform to His will and and the the ideal that He has set before us, we and we and we do that, allowing a, allowing that truth to. To take up residence in our hearts and, and genuinely want to apply it and we prayerfully approach him and ask and ask for these things. Um, God promises transformation and we have numerous statements throughout the New Testament like this that are putting the proper standard before us right the people of God are to let God pattern their lives right and the only way to do that is to look at what he's revealed. In Colossians 3, 17, Paul says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so we can't miss that whatever Paul says at the very beginning of the sentence, whatever you do in word or deed. So Paul is making a very sweeping statement, right? That's that's everything. And you know, and the rest of the New Testament goes on to call our attention to specific things and to various aspects of, of our individual lives and relationships within our lives, like marriage, as Paul goes on in, in the context when he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And then he says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them in verses 18 and 19. The parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 5 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. and so marriage is applied to the church in a, in a figurative way only, but the point is is that even the most private aspects of our lives and, and most meaningful relationships are governed and should be governed by what God has revealed. and people of God look for those divine regulations. Children are taught also to obey their parents in all things, for this is well pleasing to the Lord. In Colossians three twenty, and you find that again in Ephesians six and verse one. And then, employee employer relationships are addressed in Colossians chapter three. Paul calls them bond servants or slaves. When that was when it was written, he says, "Obey in all things your masters, not with eye service as men pleasers." In other words, just when they're watching you, but But in sincerity of heart, fearing God, whatever you do, do heartily as to the Lord and not to men. And Paul doesn't let the slave owner go either. He says, masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And while in our culture and society, thankfully, we don't have human slavery, that was something that was very alive and well in Paul's time and had... A much different character, I think, than what we are, what Americans are used to um, thinking of, you know, in the the antebellum South. But that's a discussion for another time. But the point is, is that every relationship uh, God has rules and regulations for and the principles in that particular relationship, I think, can be applied and should be applied to employer-employee relations today, uh, doing our work heartily and and sincerely and not just when we're being watched and, you know, if our boss is looking over our shoulder, but uh, we want to be trustworthy people. We should be trustworthy people as people of God who have a tremendous work ethic and who are industrious. In Romans chapter 13, Paul addresses a different relationship. He says, "...the governmental authorities that exist are ordained of God, and therefore whoever resists the authority of that government resists the ordinance of God." He goes on to say that God, uh, that the, the civil government is a God's minister to you for good. And, and for because of this, you also pay taxes and they are God's ministers. And this was written, you know, think about that in a time uh, when the Caesars ruled the world. It was a a Roman government that was um, like all gov- like all human governments had some degree of corruption, um, just as ours does and everybody else in the world, because it's made up of people, and not all those people uh, genuinely desire to please God, uh, but many of them are ambitious and want to please themselves, and that was true in Paul's day, but nevertheless he says, um, generally speaking, it exists for your good, and God allows it to exist, and so essentially be a good citizen. Now there's caveats to that that you're aware of, most likely as in Acts chapter 4, when Civil authorities took Peter and John and tried to stop them from preaching the gospel and and um, they said we must obey God rather than men. Uh, they and they said plainly, you know, you have to decide. Is it? You know, they asked the question: Is it right for us to um, obey you rather than God? And he says, and of course the answer is is no. We must obey God rather than men. And so that's the caveat. But by and large, um, you know, civil government is a, is a good thing. And yes, we pay taxes and and know it's not perfect. And we know that there is corruption and we know that there's scandal. And and uh, by and large, that's beyond our influence. But we can pray about that and should pray about it, as Paul says we should in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We should pray for those in authority, for kings and rulers. Uh, that we may lead peaceful and quiet lives and and that we may uh, thereby have a better atmosphere to teach others the truth of the gospel and so the new testament is calling on the people of god to submit to civil authorities as god's ministers and and he is not paul is not commending specific rulers right but it's 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 the idea of civil government it's not it's not bad it's needful to punish evildoers and have an orderly society when jesus described furthermore when jesus described the final judgment in matthew 25 he said that when we minister to the needs of others he says you did it to me and likewise when we fail to be good neighbors he says you did not do it to me and so it goes the new testament is just filled with exhortations for the people of god a people of god to live for the Lord in every aspect of their lives and and their marriages and their dealings with their children and and the workplace um, and and their relationship to their civil government, paying taxes and things like this. Just every aspect you can think of. Peter put it this way, "...submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men." as free men, yet not using your liberty for a cloak of vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people and love the brotherhood. Fear God and honor the king. First Peter two thirteen and 17. And so all of that to say, people of God, who are marked by this genuine hunger for righteousness and diligently seek God to know him and understand him and be near to him, through His Word, they're much more than just Sunday morning Christians. They're they're workers, and they work hard and faithfully through the week. And the light of Christ is seen in their social dealings and their business dealings. They're honest and fair, at least they should be. And even their manner of speech is to be affected by their allegiance to Christ. There is no hypocrisy in any of this. Now, there are hypocrites in the world. There are hypocrites in the church, just as there's hypocrites in government and hypocrites in school and business and and everywhere. But true people of God are to live as to the Lord from the heart. And we call attention to these things. We're, We're aware that, again, many today, perhaps even church members, will say or think, well, that's just... Um, preacher talk and you know we just could not function that way in in the real world well um, first note that that way has been established with specific citations from God's word as we've seen already in our study and secondly the people of God are not of this world but we're to be pilgrims or to be sojourners we're just passing through as the Hebrew writer says we're on our way to a city which has foundations and whose builder and maker is God. And so that's why Paul says, as we read in Colossians 3, set your mind there. Set your mind on things above. God seeks a people who are not ordinary, who are not of this world and have no desire to be of this world. Yes, they're in it. And we live here for a time, for a very brief time, relatively speaking. But we don't want it to be our home. And the way home is narrow and very restricted. And Jesus says in Matthew 7, there are few who find it. And I don't think Jesus said that to scare us. I don't think that was ever Jesus' intention. Sometimes folks read those verses like Matthew 7 or others because Jesus had so much to say about eternal destiny and and the two outcomes that every individual must decide between and face um they come to the conclusion that Jesus was almost like sent to terrify us but i don't i don't believe that's the case i don't think that's the case with him or with any inspired writer in his new testament that speak plainly and speak candidly about punishment or you know eternal torment i think those realities are scary but i but i think the the bible is primarily concerned with just stating the fact that it is a reality. And it's on to, it's on us to respond in the right way. So in other words, God has made it abundantly clear what His expectations are and what we're capable of and what He's capable of and how true He will be to His promises and that in the end, victory is assured if if we are on His side. But if, if we're not, just as assuredly, there will be punishment. And there will be condemnation. Right? So we have these two incredible destinies before us, and God doesn't want us to have any delusions about that. And so he's calling us to make the right choice and to be ready. And he's given us everything that we need to equip us to know Him and to work for Him and be acceptable to Him. And He's given us each other. He's given Christians each other as a family and He's given the local church arrangement. When Christians walk wisely and live for the Lord, every aspect of their work and worship will of necessity be affected. And we'll go into more details later down the road in this in this study, but um, this the attitude that genuine people of God have should also affect how they work together in a a local church as a team of saints. And so faithful members of that local church can't consistently condone those who ignore the Lord and their responsibilities to be a part of a local church team. You know, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such immorality is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you, in 1 Corinthians 5. Then he goes on to say, In the name of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And if you read that context, Paul goes on to talk about what that discipline looks like. It's it's a social withdrawal uh, and a... A withdrawal of fellowship. In other words, you're recognizing that this person, man or woman who has decided to live in sin, are are no longer a member where where you are. They're no longer being faithful to the Lord, and thus you can't tolerate them and and turn a blind eye to their to their sin, right? He says, Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. In other words, follow through with this instruction. Um so that he may be saved that's the second part of what paul says that he may be saved in the day of the lord jesus right so you do this in the interest of putting him to or her to shame calling out their sin letting them know it's not going to be tolerated and you can't continue to have fellowship with us and you certainly can't be right with god until you change and that's not saying anything other than what the scripture says and that doesn't make anyone default judge you know by default judgmental or Uh, Vindictive, certainly those things can be done with a vindictive attitude, but they're not inherently that way, in other words. It's wrong to exercise church discipline for the sake of vengeance. Uh, That's not what we're called to do. But we're to do it in the interest of serving God and in the purity of the local church. And so, again, we find living for the Lord affects the conduct of Christians acting collectively also in that local church arrangement. In chapter six, Paul goes on to criticize them for not setting their differences, settling their differences as Christian with with Christian. So the the Corinthians were suing each other. Um, He says that you are failing to, to go before the saints. Instead he says brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. And so he continues in verse seven, why why do you not rather accept the wrong? And so, a church that operates as to the Lord, and brothers who and sisters who are trying to work together for the Lord have principles in common. Um, they're they're striving for the same purpose, and individual and church obligations are not identical. And we should do our utmost best to um, to live it in in peace with one another. It doesn't mean that the church is going to be infallible, and that there's not going to be Issues that arise, um, but Jesus has set forth a protocol when issues do arise. In Matthew 18, and as we read just a moment ago in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, when sin is involved. Uh, but if there's no sin involved, we're told to to be at peace and to be patient with one another and tolerate one another. And so the character of the true people of God is is shaped by their recognition of, of Him and His will, and that should lead to us treating, it. that should manifest itself in our lives in the way that we treat one another. right? God is patient and tolerant with us, but He has no tolerance for sin. And we can't either, first in our own lives and then secondly in the lives of our brethren. And the lord's church, the local church will support and encourage the teaching of the whole council of God, and so not just with they're not' we're, you know we're not called to be a discerning people just in regard to moral issues but also uh, when it comes to what is being taught and and doctrine wise about the plan of salvation and you know any other doctrinal matter we read about in the New Testament, you know Paul deals with one in first Corinthians chapter 10. And eleven with the abuse of the Lord's Supper and the memorial there. And so God's people are to be discerning. Um and and true Bible teachers and preachers will in, encourage that and welcome that. And and remind folks as they strive themselves to be honest and objective in their studies and, and in all their all their dealings. And so the Bible has regulations for our conduct. And so it should be apparent that the people of God are not casual about their relationship with Him. God requires nothing of His people that a dedicated and truly converted person or team cannot do. Right? The fact that He commands us to do something means that He knows we're capable of doing it. It means that we, that we are capable of doing it. And nothing will be accepted that does not come from a a dedicated, uh, sincere effort. So people of God realize that they they function in God's presence. That He sees us and knows us and what's in our hearts. And obedience is not acceptable obedience until it is from the heart. And God's people shouldn't see that as like a dreaded oversight, but as an opportunity to serve the one who loves them and gives them guidance. Because that's in our best interest. God's people are grateful for every blessing, and should be, and are keenly aware that were it not for God's mercy and forgiveness, we would be eternally lost. Thankfully, He hasn't left us in the dark, but He sent His Son to reveal Himself completely, to show us how to live and be acceptable to God and be reconciled to God and to offer himself as a sacrifice that we may be forgiven. And that's the only way. I appreciate you tuning in today, and I hope that this study has been beneficial for you as it has for me. Please email your questions if you have any to Leon Valley Church at gmail.com. Or you can visit our website at leonvalleychurch.org and submit a contact form there. If you'd like to study further, you have some suggestions or, or comments, I'd love to hear them. Thanks again for tuning in. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.